no void outside the known world for any other world to occupy. So, Aristotle concluded, two worlds cannot both exist. Some Greeks, notably those advocating the existence of atoms, believed otherwise. But Aristotle's view prevailed. By the 13th century, once Aristotle's writings had been rediscovered in medieval Europe, most scholars defended his position. But then religion leveled the philosophical playing field. Fans of other worlds got a chance to make their case. In 1277, the Bishop of Paris, Etienne Tempier, banned scholars from teaching 219 principles, many associated with Aristotle's philosophy. Among the prohibited teachings on the list was item 34, that God could not create as many worlds as he wanted to. Since the penalty for violating this decree was excommunication, Parisian scholars suddenly discovered rationales allowing multiple worlds, empowering God to defy Aristotle's logic. And since Paris was the intellectual capital of the European world, scholars elsewhere followed the Parisian lead. While several philosophers asserted that God could make many worlds, most intimated that he probably wouldn't have bothered. Hardly anyone addressed the likelihood of alien life, although both Jean Bredon in Paris and William of Oakham in Oxford did consider the possibility. God could produce an infinite number of individuals of the same kind as those that now exist, wrote Oakham, but he's not limited to producing them in this world. Populated worlds showed up more prominently in writings by the renegade thinkers Nicholas of Cusa and Giordano Bruno. They argued not only for the existence of other worlds, but also for worlds inhabited by beings just like or maybe better than Earth's humans. In every region, inhabitants of diverse nobility of nature proceed from God, wrote Nicholas, who argued that space had no center, and therefore the earth could not be central or privileged with the respect to life. Bruno, an Italian friar, asserted that God's perfection demanded an infinity of worlds and beings. Infinite perfection is far better presented in innumerable individuals than in those which are numbered and finite, Bruno averred. Burned at the stake for heretical beliefs, though not as often stated for his belief in other worlds, Bruno did not live to see the triumph of Copernicanism during the 17th century. Copernicus had placed the sun at the hub of a planetary system, making the earth just one planet of several. So the existence of other worlds eventually became no longer speculation but astronomical fact inviting the notion of otherworldly populations, as the prominent Dutch scientist Christian Huygens pointed out in the late 1600s. A man that is of Copernicus's opinion that this earth of ours is a planet, like the rest of the planets, cannot but sometimes think that it's not improbable that the rest of the planets have their inhabitants too, Huygens wrote in his New Conjectures Concerning the Planetary Worlds, their inhabitants, and productions. A few years earlier, French scientist popularizer Bernard Le Bouvier de Fontenelle had surveyed the prospects for life in the solar system 
in his Conversations on the Plurality of Worlds, an imaginary dialogue between a philosopher and an uneducated but intelligent woman known as the Marquis. It would be very strange that the earth was as populated as it was, and the other planets weren't at all, the philosopher told the Marquis. Although he didn't think people could live on the sun, if there were any, they'd be blinded by its brightness. He sided with those who envisioned inhabitants on other planets and even the moon. Just as there have been and still are a prodigious number of men foolish enough to worship the moon, there are people on the moon who worship the earth, he wrote. From early modern times onward, discussion of aliens was not confined to science and philosophy. They also appeared in various works of fiction, providing plot devices that remain popular to the present day. Often.